Hello and welcome to episode 193 of Effect. We are fearsome. I am Matthew. And I am Dave. And we've got, as usual, a packed show today. We have a few things to talk about in the world of gaming, as as always. Um, but after we've talked about that, we are going back to the world of Coriolis, where you are going to talk to us about a uh, a game in Coriolis called Karom, and your particular take on it. And I'm really looking forward to, to, to hearing about that, because some of the stuff we've done before, which has just been these these nice little cultural vignettes, really, about the about the world of the Third Horizon have, I think, been some of some of our best stuff. So I'm looking forward to that mm-hmm. very much. Um, and then we get on to the main chunk of the show for today. So we had the great opportunity to talk to Matt Cross um, of, ooh, what's the company name? I've forgotten. Geektopia uh, Games. Geektopia Games. And we had a chat with him about his uh, current Kickstart game, uh, Fearsome Wilderness which uh, was a great opportunity to chat to him. We've been kind of following the development of this game uh, over the last, I don't know, year or 18 months, and great to see it come to Kickstarter. But yeah, so we had a great chance to chat to Matt, and we will um, we will play that at the end of the show. And that's- yeah, we should say that Matt Cross, or as he's known on the socials, Dystopia Matt, is a patron of the show, so... Um, if you want to get your game on the show, all you need to do is sign up as a patron. No, that's not all you need to do. <laughs> well, you'd be welcome you to come just... on board as a patron, and then we can everybody in the nicest place of the internet, as it is, can um, yeah can help be a sounding board for ideas and thoughts and playtesting. If you want to do for playtesting, and, and I've got to say, it is the nicest place on the internet. And I noticed uh, just recently on the end of the Kickstarter, Matt has announced um, that a PDF character sheet or a roll 20 character sheet i should say is coming soon and we know that's being designed by another one of our patrons because this is the place when you become a patron on this show you join the friendliest place on the internet our (laughs) discord and this is where matt cross can find everything he needs to to finish off and finesse the uh, the the character sheets on Roll Twenty and the like. And we're getting ahead of ourselves, though. Actually, we'll we'll talk a bit more about fearsome wilderness later. Let's carry on talking about patrons now, because uh, we've got another new patron. This nice week, segue, and... nice segue, Matthew. That was that was a nice one. I'm Thank impressed. you. I was building it all the way up from. <laughs> I am very impressed. With uh... that. I'm sorry I spoiled it by saying nice segue, but it was a lovely segue. But it's a good segue. It can, uh, I just can... want to say. <laughs> sorry, go on. What do you what do you want to say, Dave? I was just gonna, it could, get it, it out. It was such a good segue; it couldn't go unspoiled. So, no, that that's a good point. Yes, I mean, we have got to display at least a modicum of amateurishness on this show. Uh, yeah. we? we have to pretend to be amateurs because actually, just just the professionalism just normally oozes from every pore, doesn't it? Exactly, <laughs> uh, and yeah. it's that sort of, and it's this sort of quality banter actually that um, that attracts patrons to uh, to the, the nicest show. Place and I want it. to say, eventually, I'll be able to say thank you <laughs> to our latest patron, Ooh, Dave. Yes. And you're and you're not our latest patron. Our latest patron is Ricard, uh, Ricard Aspolm. Um, I, I, who I imagine is one of our Swedish listeners, um, Ricard. Thank Welcome. you. Yes, thank you. Welcome. Great to have we you. We will do better <clears throat> next time. Ah, 
And yeah, and Ricardo's already come up and appeared on the Discord. So yeah, it's great to uh, great to have you aboard. Brilliant. World of Gaming, Dave? World of Gaming. What do we have to talk about in the world of gaming? Well, I think there's an interesting... Well, go on then. You go. You go. No, it's okay. You go. No, no, I, don't you... to, I don't want to step on your... <laughs> to me, to Okay, you, no, I'll to go. Me, I'll go, because... It follows on. It follows on a little bit from patronage and uh, and the friendly space on the Discord. Um, uh, so uh, one of our uh, another one of our patrons just posted only this morning or last night. I don't know. I only read it this morning. Uh, uh, an article that we will link to in the show notes about the thriving games cafe scene in Iran, and um, it just struck me as a really interesting article. Um, and it's fabulous that there are people in Iran playing D&D. I mean, given everything else that's going on in Iran as we <clears> speak, uh, this um, sort of haven of places where young men and women can come together, play games and cards, and there's quite a gaming culture happening mm. there. There's, um, you know, they're playing D&D and games that we've all heard of, but also there's locally produced games being created partly because of this games cafe culture. So given that this is the world of gaming, mm. I thought it's a really uh, good opportunity to point out that there is actually a whole wide world of gaming. It's not just the Anglophones and the Swedes. Uh, no, no, so, that's uh, very true. And I think, you know, we're, we're obviously not a political podcast, but obviously what's going on in Iran at the moment is uh, is, is very uh, worrying and perhaps possibly hopeful and... Um, you know, obviously, it's it's a difficult time, but actually, getting a little insight into a country that actually I don't know very much about, particularly not kind of the everyday culture and lives of of, of the majority of Iranian people, um, getting a little little window into something like this, where actually, you know, and I guess it's no surprise they're doing exactly what we do. They enjoy playing games. They enjoy getting together and mm -hmm. and playing these games. And you were telling me about um. Um, Mafia. There's um, so there's there's a series of games like Mafia, like um, Werewolf, like Secret Hitler, um, thing online called Town of Salem, where it's a um, a, a mystery bad guy game, and one of the players mm -hmm. is, is the mystery bad guy, and you've got to root out who they are. Um, and you were telling me they're they're playing, they've they've got some quite a. Is it even a TV program around it? Yeah, there's an actual TV program where. Yeah. Um, Basically, you know, Iranian celebrities get together and play mafia uh, in, I, I think, a slightly soap opera style. I don't know exactly how it works. There's a trailer linked to in the article that we all link to in the show notes. Mm. But, it, you know, it's just a, a fabulous uh, sort of uh, feels to me like a beacon of light amongst uh, the darker and more oppressive things we yeah. normally hear coming out of Iran. So, yes. um <clears throat> So, yeah, uh, we'll link the to the article in the show notes. I urge you to read it and, um, yeah, and think about how games can, can bring things to people all around the world. Well, and, yeah, and bring people together and... Yeah. Yeah. Cool. But yeah, That's what but... I meant rather than bring things to people. You're right. Things. <laughs> <laughs> bring things, yes. So, things. Yeah. Little so bits that... of plastic and cardboard counters. Or, or, it brings or, people all those things. Or transforming alien creatures that can imitate people perfectly. Those kind of things. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Uh, we, uh, so, yeah, we don't often talk about board games, but we will be talking about board games later on in this segment. First of all, though, Dave, I thought we ought to touch on Touched by the Gods. Yes, um, so uh, despite having Cooper on and our best efforts, unfortunately, Touched by the Gods Kickstarter didn't make its pledge. 
um, so didn't get funded, um, which is a real pity. So I, mm. um, you know, as you said when we when we spoke to Cuba, I, I was I was not convinced by looking at the Kickstarter page. I was convinced by talking to Cuba, so I I backed it. Um, and actually, I think the game has got an awful lot going for it. So it's a real pity that he he didn't get to um, mm. didn't get to his target. Um, uh, you know, which was I think you know for for a, for a, for what looked like anyway to a, to an outside observer a first time kickstart, even though you know we explained that wasn't quite the case. Um, you know, they, he had like a nine or ten thousand pound target, which perhaps was was just a bit ambitious for that. I mean, he got eight thousand mm. or a little even a bit more, so he got very close. But if he'd been slightly less ambitious, then obviously he would have he would have hit his hit his target and got funded. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what happens next. I don't know whether. Well, I touched base with him earlier in the week. Okay, and cool. He says he doesn't know either, but he'll give us a shout when he's worked out what he's going to do next. Right, but it's so not. It's not over we, though. He's going. He's going. It's not over. No, no, no that's good. Yeah. I mean, with the rules of Kickstarter, could he just try again? Yes, absolutely. You can yeah. do it again. So one of the earliest Kickstarters I uh, did was. Um, uh, yeah, for for Space Team The Admirals Club uh, which was a, a crazy Kickstarter actually it was a, a crazy weird concept in that um, the man behind the Space Team which I'm sure we've talked about on the show before but look it up on your on your on your uh, Apple shop or your or your Google Play shop or whatever. Space Team is a great play that everybody plays on their phones. They've all got different instructions. They've all got different control panels, and they have to. You you get together in a group and you shout instructions to other people while you try and obey the instructions that other people are giving you, uh, and you're trying to save um, your spaceship from crashing into the sun. It's hilarious. It's a great game. I recommend it to anybody. He'd already made that game without kickstarting it. And so what he was doing was kind of saying, oh, you know, if you enjoy this game, why don't you pay me to make another one? Um, I don't know what it's going to be yet, but you'll just pay me. Okay. And the first time he did that, that didn't work. Um, but the second time he did it quite, and the second time is when I pledged, he did it quite brilliantly. And um, I still have my uh, Space Team Admirals Club uh, membership card and my patch <laughs> and all the little bits of ephemera that you cool. were actually buying into. But yeah. it felt very much like we were... Uh, you know, just supporting him playing games or creating games for us to play. Nice. Um, okay, yeah. so, uh, so, so, yeah. so Cuba's got Se- a, a second direct... attempts can happen. He's got a direct route back if he chooses to go that route again and maybe set a lower target, perhaps. I mean, I guess, I mean, mm. yeah, presumably the target was set based on, you know, lots of costs and calculations. So there might be a, a thing about where does he, you know, get efficiencies in the process in order to bring that pledge down. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, but you know, for me, I, I would be delighted to see it come round again in in some form or another. I will back it again if it comes up on Kickstarter again, because um, I yeah. think the game has actually got an awful lot to it. Um, you know, I think we talked a little bit last time about the the impact of the Kickstarter and um, you know the you know, Cuba's choices around running the project, which mm. perhaps didn't give it the give it the fast start that. Um, yeah, that it, it, it might have, and, des- it and, might have and deserved a relatively short campaign yeah. as well, um, and and yeah, and not talking to us before he starts the pro- project, which everybody should do. Everybody who's making a year zero game should tell us about the game, like like Matt has done, 
and and come on and record a show that can happen in the first few days of the yeah. Kickstarter campaign as opposed to the last few days. And we don't we don't take any payment, but you know, gifts are welcome. Yeah, gifts are <laughs> always welcome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Especially gifts and maybe, of money. Actually, <laughs> uh, ser- <laughs> seriously, Cuba, if you're listening, what you could do if you do plan on, on launching another Kickstarter uh, for it is maybe, you know, come and uh, run a game for yeah. us and some of our patrons. Absolutely. Which we could stream and people could see it in action. Uh, that's the thing that we could do next time, maybe. I think that's a good idea. Uh, and, you know, build up a bit of uh, anticipation for it. Anyway, yeah. anyway. Uh, something else uh, that I said we'd return to is the world of board games, and now is the time, because Free League have made an announcement. They have. So Mutant Year Zero is going to get a skirmish combat mini game called Zone Wars. Hmm. Now some people seem to be quite excited about this. I, my my days of mini skirmish games, I think, are well and truly behind me. Um, so I'm not terribly excited about this. I won't be backing it. Um, I, I, I just don't think I get the time nowadays to play a game like that. And I don't have time to do all the minis and um, you know, paint everything up. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so it, it, it's not for me. But I think it, I mean, yeah. it does look lovely. I mean, it's, some of the images of, of, the, uh, of the minis look really cool. Um, I particularly like some of the Gen Lab Alpha, alpha ones, where you've got foxes and oh, they've even mm. got. Naturally enough, they've got a duck in there as well. I think. Good, um, good, good. <laughs> um, so yeah, I haven't looked into it very much. I won't be backing it, but only because it's it's not my bag anymore. I used to play those kind of games, you know, Warhammer and that back in the day. But um, yeah, I don't really enjoy say, them you know, too much nowadays, really. I very much enjoyed playing um, a game called Dead Man's Hand, which mm. is a cowboy game that I was playing with my friends and colleagues at the game shop in Aldershot a few months ago. But there's a thing, and it can look very beautiful. Um, some of my, um, uh, some of the other people there have created lots of wonderful Western scenery. But actually, you know, it's a game that takes, you know, uh, you kind of play effectively three rounds of of, of the skirmish in this game. So you're playing effectively three small skirmish war games. So let's say that's three hours. But then you've also got to add on an extra hour of setting the blooming town up and packing it away. Yeah. Um, and like you, I don't feel I've quite got enough time to do that. I, um, don't, I don't have the space either. I mean, back in the day, when I was a kid, I was lucky enough to live in a big house. We had a room which was kind of the games room, which had a table in it, which I, yeah. could, just, I could just leave that set up. And nobody yeah. would muck about with it. So it didn't matter if, you know, if I did it one hour here and then like waited a week and did another hour then. Um, whereas now I just don't have the space in the house where I live at the moment. Um, yeah. You've got to, you've got to set it up, play it and pack it away all kind of straight away because the space is required for, for other stuff. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, it's not for me either. Um, I think I'll stick with Dead Man's Hand for my whatever skirmish gaming I do do. Mm. Um, but I, mean, the other, the other I am game. kind of excited by it. Okay, go on then. I'm excited by it because do you remember when we did our first paying gig for uh, Free League? It was running uh, then before the uh, 
the the, the pre-order the the alien kit, we, alien we at UK Games alien. Expo yeah in twenty at UK Games Expo 19, and we walked past a place where there was a skirmish uh, a skirmish game a of Mutant Year Zero. Zero yeah. Absolutely, I do remember. And, um, and it took them by surprise. They didn't know about it. Yeah, it took the guys at Freely by surprise as well. No. And they went, oh. Um, so, and obviously, the company behind that one, I, it, it, that never happened. And I, I just wonder whether, because you'll notice that there's um, there's an old uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, um, or sorry, Warhammer Fantasy Battles uh, uh guy behind this skirmish game i wonder whether he was yes. behind that previous company there and you know and different sorts of licensing the challenge for free league is they nobody expected um expected to tell them that their game was being turned into a skirmish game because of course they don't own the, the license franchise no, that's owned exactly. by yeah. cabinet so, you know, everything they produce under that license is effectively owned by Cabinet as well. And Cabinet had already given that to a computer game developer to make a quite yes. a good, I understand, um, little um, computer game for that. And this skirmish game was based on that computer game. So one step removed even from the role-playing game, even though it features all the aesthetics of um, Mutant Year Zero. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you know, all's fair in love and war and business and, and there was no reason why anybody should tell the guys at freely but i think you and i could tell they were just a little bit miffed they, they, their noses were definitely put out of joint by yeah. not being not being aware or being made aware that this was this was, was a thing yeah. um they were like very say, polite about but it like yeah of course <laughs> but, but like you say there, there's there's not much they could do about it and actually yeah. you know th- apart from kind of you know, nice, uh, you know, polite behaviour. There was no reason why they should be told about it. But you mm. know, considering it's in the same world and they could potentially help, um, yeah, you know, boost its its chances, then it, it, it's only the right thing, really, to um to do that. But I guess you know, nobody, nobody obviously thought that that was something that they ought to do. Um, but yeah, but I mean, now they, they definitely were a little bit peeved by it. Yeah. Now they've got it. It's their game, and they're going to be coming out with it. So that makes yeah, me. Excited. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure when the Kickstarter opens for that. It's coming soon. I don't though. think it's a. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure that it's a Kickstarter. Is it was a pre. Yeah, it's up. Remember. It's up on Kickstarter now. Um, right, and I it think it but hasn't started. It hasn't launched yet. Yeah, I think it's possibly the first of November, or at least early November when it starts. Mm. Um, so yeah. that, that'll be coming out shortly after you listen to this podcast. Check it mm-hmm. out. We'll yeah. put a link in the show notes. Now, the other thing I was going to say about skirmish games is one that I should particularly like is um, X-Wing. But even mm-hmm. that I, I find a bit boring. Um, well, although, you know, although, 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 there is one, there was there was a scenario which was a fan-made scenario, which I haven't played, mm-hmm. which Tony, uh, my brother's played at least once, which is the battle around the Death Star and the, the, the trench run. Now, I, mm. I, would, I would like to do that. That would be great fun. But just having a game where you've got, oh, I've got two TIE Fighters over there, two X-Wings over there, let's go and shoot each other until one of us wins. I find that really yeah. quite boring. But actually, that the idea of doing the Trentron situation, I think that might be really good fun. Um, but as I said, I'm not really into those kind of skirmish games. I've got, I've got, I've got too many bo- role-playing games I want to play, and I've got too many yeah. actually really good board games that I'm still playing frequently. Um, yeah. 
So I just don't have time for a third genre of tabletop game at the moment. No, no, no. So, but I wish it all all the success in the world. Um, yes, absolutely. And I love the fact that all the figures that they've illustrated, they've shown us so far, are based on illustrations we've seen in the books. Yeah. Except for the duck, which of course comes out of the video game. But um, yeah, there's some great robots and stuff like that. I, I I love the look of it. But yeah, I think not for me. Yes, agreed. Okay, what Something else? else that's not for me. Bebop Cowboy, as I called it earlier. No, no, Cowboy <laughs> Bebop, mate. I know, I know. You did that on purpose, it, didn't you? I did, yeah. But it just, I'm just demonstrating my level of knowledge about anime, which is <laughs> as close to zero as makes no odds. Um, but yes, so I saw on, I think it was on Facebook, actually, announcement that the um, Cowboy Bebop, Bebop RPG, based on the anime, not the TV series, um is is coming or is uh, is uh, is on its way but yeah so this has come up on on facebook that it's it's coming i don't know anything about it uh i don't know what system it is uh but, I, but having seen it i thought we'd just just throw it out there um i know that uh oh what's the other one what was that one called that uh, that came out a while ago uh, avatar Blues. avatar um avatar i know yeah, that's yeah. that's beginning i think the pdfs for that are have they been? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think they've come out. I think I, I, I and, think and obviously, have got their PDFs, and that's obviously done supremely well. So I don't know whether Cowboy Bebop is going to be in a similar kind of be, be tapping into a similar kind of audience. Um, but then you can always quite quickly oversaturate a particular market. So I don't know anything about it, um, but it is it is there. So if you're interested in that and it's something that is uh, your bag, then um, go and have a look and see what you can. Yeah, see if it's of, of interest to you. Yeah, I, I imagine it will do really well because there's a whole bunch of very fervent Cowboy Bebop fans <clears> around. <throat> mm. I don't think it will do as well as Avatar because I think there's probably a tenth of the number of fans of um, Cowboy Bebop as there are of Avatar. I don't know exactly. Um, but yeah, I just feel we've got things like Orbital Blues out there already. Um for that sort of feel uh, yeah so this one they're bounty hunters aren't they and they're yeah isn't that the, the characters are bounty hunters and they are it's a it's a uh, it's like a it's a space thing it's not set on earth it's 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 set yeah it's, more widely. Uh, it's i think it's set it's solar system i don't i, I don't think we've colonized beyond yeah. the solar system um so yeah it's partly on earth and stuff but it's definitely a space thing um uh, it's a, so bounty hunters are called cowboys, as I understand it. Um, but uh, bebop is because they all like jazz music, apparently. Um, and I've got to say, the music's great on cowboy bebop. But a lot of people claim that cowboy bebop is better than Firefly, and I just have to point out to them every time: if you're one of those listening, you're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> Firefly is better than cowboy bebop. Is it? Is it? Um, does it have any kind of Firefly resonance to it? Is it worth watching for the Firefly fan? Um, well, Cowboy Bebop came before Firefly. Yeah. The a lot of people say, oh, you know, the whole space western thing that was Cowboy Bebop did that earlier. The, the only thing about cowboys in Cowboy Bebop is the word cowboy. <laughs> There's yeah. nothing else there that feels space western to me. Um, 
Oh, and I, I think that the, the, the sort of bounty hunter uh, TV channel that gives out all the jobs is cowboy themed because obviously, um, you know, um, bounty hunters are called cowboys. Or is whatever. that more like? But, um, yeah. What was what was what was the other what was the cow what was the there was a bounty hunter TV series that I watched a bit of Killjoys, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Killjoys. So is yeah. It, is it a bit more yeah. like that then? You think as in tone and feel? Well, to be honest, I think Killjoys is closer to uh, uh, to Firefly than Cowboy Bebop okay. ever was. Um, yeah. So if you put them on a continuum. With actual horses, cowboys in Firefly, uh-huh. through Killjoys, and then Cowboy Bebop on the other side. I think right. that's probably a good thing. Um, but the quality end is the is the one with um, with with actual horses. I think. Yeah. Okay, I mean, uh, I'm actually. I mean, talking about it, I'm, my interest is increasing. Um, okay. But, <clears throat> well, as I said, I I think look at the aesthetics. I I really I, not many Cowboy Bebop fans enjoyed the live action show that uh, I think it was yeah. Netflix put out um, uh, a few months ago. If I were you, I'd watch the first episode of that and see how the aesthetic grabs you, and then watch some more if you like. Or is the aesthetics um, of that like faithful to the anime then as well? I think it's pretty faithful to the anime. Yes, yeah. but. Um, but but because it's made real, it feels better to me. I I'm I've got to admit I'm not a massive fan of the anime. I keep trying to watch it all the way through, and I get bored very quickly. Yeah, I'm not a fan of um, anime particularly. And I think actually one of the reasons why I get bored with the anime is is evident in the illustrations that's shown for Cowboy Bebop. There is um, our main man whose name I've forgotten. It's not important wearing a very jazz suit, smoking a hip cigar, and his female companion, who is incredibly um, good at what she does uh, as an <clears throat> assassin come cannibal. You know, she's just half naked all the time. And how come he gets to wear a suit and she prances around with the flies of her trousers undone? Um, <laughs> you know, it, okay. that just, yeah. it feels too Japanese in that way that I don't like that bit of Japanese culture uh, in, in anime. And so um, it's a no for me. Right, right. Okay, there we go. Um, so Although, one so, final so bit. It is, it's, it's, just to finish on that, it, it is up on Kickstarter at the moment. It has 24 mm-hmm. days to go. It has smashed its pledge already. Its 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 target was £17,500. It's got 240000 So as you, mm-hmm. as you suspected, it's... Uh, it's playing into that uh, big uh, anime audience, and it's doing very well. Yeah, now it's just, I'm just suddenly reminded of a thing. When I was at Essen last year, not not Essen's just finished, but the year before, twenty twenty one, yeah, in twenty twenty one, I think there were some copies of a Cowboy Bebop RPG floating around then. Now, I don't know whether these two things are connected, uh, but I do wonder whether that was like an early early test release or something that was going mm. on. I couldn't actually get hold of a copy. I just saw posters for it. Right. Um, well, they're talking about this uh, this coming out for the 25th anniversary of the, of the anime. Mm. So, it, you know, it might well have been around then in preparation for, yeah. um, for this year. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I mean, having looked at it, I'm, I'm, and talked about it. I am slightly more interested. I don't know whether it will get me to the point of backing it. 
Um, I've got a few. You know, I'm 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 having no, to be no. a little bit more careful about what I back at the moment. So we have enough um, space cowboy games yeah. between us. Yeah, <laughs> we don't need this one. No. Um, now I just want to move on quickly to fearsome wilderness uh, yes. because we're going to be talking about fearsome wilderness later. But in the world of uh, gaming, we haven't really mentioned it before in terms of its Kickstarter. And um, I just wanted to say that that's not doing badly. <clears throat> it's, it's it's its target was about one tenth of what Cowboy Bebop's was. Yeah, but it too has smashed its target. Yeah, which is um, great. With with eleven days to go on that, so well at the point of recording, so. Yeah, so it's probably be about ten days to go um, when you're hearing this, uh, or at least when the podcast comes out. Uh, yeah, so that's great. But like like you say, we um, uh, you know, we've got more of Matt later on. Not you, Matt. Yes, the other Matt. Cool. Sorry, not you, Matthew. Right, but before before Matt. Matt, we have me, Matt. <laughs> we do, um, and we yeah. have me, Matt, Dave. <laughs> so I'm yeah. So I'm looking forward to to seeing this. Your piece on uh, Karom, the game in the Third Horizon. It's all Dave's fault. It always is. As the PCs walked into a seedy Legion watering hole, Dave said, It's been ages since we started an adventure with a bar fight. With an admittedly brilliant sideways manoeuvre, the party had decided that rather than talk to the Foundation representatives, as I had expected, and alert them to their patrons' interest in Station 18, they would find a bar full of demoralised legionnaires. Demoralised because of uh, recent events to keep up. And I was off script. I had no idea who they would find there. If Dave hadn't already foreshadowed the idea of a bar fight, I might well have resorted to that old cliché. But he had. And so I needed to think of something else. Fast. As they scanned the crowd, looking for the highest-ranking person there, I placed him at a gaming table. But what game? I didn't want it to be a game of cards. That would be swapping one common trope for another. Somehow, out of the dark recesses of my memory, I recalled a game played in South Asia, a bit like billiards or snooker, but played on a smaller wooden table with draft-like wooden discs instead of balls. I googled its name. Karom. But I fudged the actual gameplay when Dave decided to play it as a way of getting in with the legionary. After the session, I googled Karom again. And there are quite a few ways in which it resonates with the lore of the horizon that make me think that it would be a perfect bit of background colour to add to your adventures. According to Wikipedia... Karom originated in India. It's played on a square wooden board with 19 wooden discs. We'll come back to those. And two larger wooden discs called strikers, which the players flick at the smaller ones with the aim of knocking them into one of four holes at the corners of the board. 
You can only flick your striker from your quarter of the board, so rebounding from the edges is required if you're going to succeed. The geometry of those rebounds is more difficult than billiards because the striker and the carom man are not the same size. Added to that, the pockets are only a little larger than the caroms themselves, so arguably it requires a little more skill to play successfully. You can find out more about how carom is played on YouTube, but let's talk about how it might be a little different in the third horizon. First of all, as I was struggling to remember it during play, I suggested it was played on a round board. But all the Caron boards I've seen are square. Thinking of the round hollow chess table aboard the Millennium Falcon, I initially decided that maybe the first change I would suggest is that Space Caron is played on round tables. But in my research, I have pulled back from that idea, as I have worked out that I was confusing Karom with Croquenol, a similar but distinctly different game from Canada. Croquenol is probably a very fine game, but I've decided not to merge it with Karom in my horizon. In the third horizon, the tables are traditionally square, except perhaps on mirror. One of the key differences between Croquenol and Carom is the use of powder to reduce friction on the board. It's used all the time in Carom. Though it's not unknown in Croquenol, its use is very controversial. But it set me thinking that there might be a more innovative method of lubricating the board in the third horizon, like a low-powered gravitic effect on the board. Watching players powder their hands before play on YouTube, though, I am kind of attracted to that ritual as well. Luckily for me, the horizon is a big place, so you can have gravitic boards on space stations and in Zenithian palaces, while more plebeian places and first-come communities stick to the old-fashioned powder method. That powder, by the way, used to be boric acid. Nowadays it's more likely to be potato starch, but I wonder if in the horizon there is a treasured product of the spice plazas, famous for its frictionless properties. Remember I said that we would come back to those 19 caroms? Well, one of them, the queen, is red. But the other 18 are split between black and white. Do you see? There are nine of each. One for each of the icons. And one is light and the other is dark because icons are both light and dark too. So I imagine that only the two Karoms representing the faceless one are plain. The others are decorated with sigils, and symbols representing different aspects of each icon. So, for example, the light dancer Karom is paired with a dark beast. 
Now, in the traditional game, you can only score from pocketing the queen if afterwards you cover that karom with another one of your own colour in the same pocket. If you fail to do so, the queen is returned to the centre of the board. If you add the icons to those karoms then, the icon that covers the queen might well be considered a portent of some kind, considered by players as a prediction of the future. A skilled player might indeed be able to choose which icon they use to cover the queen, giving a meaningful signal at least to their opponent, maybe cursing them or even offering them a blessing, depending on the colour of the icon that covers the queen. I like this, but it makes me want to change the name of that piece known as the queen. So, in my third horizon, that single piece is called the first come. Thus, the player's strikers represent the first and second horizons, battering the first come around the board. And thus, the history of the third horizon and the changing fortunes of the first come are played out with every game. Um. So the first thing I I want to say about that, and I don't say this very often, is I love it. I think that's excellent. I really love it. I just love the whole idea of um, kind of the, the the whole essence it brings to the game, you know. And I love the idea of uh, of a player who's used to using powder, um, still taking his little pouch of powder out and powdering his hands on the table that doesn't need it. And then the others, yeah. the others around the table scowling because you know he's spoiling their lovely. They've got a fancy table. new graphic table. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, I love all that. I just, so it just, it just, it just brought, it just brought up, uh, you know, just, just a real sense of, 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 of re- reality. Is that the right word in this? But of there, there is a moment there I could imagine myself in with my little pouch of powder on my hip and getting, yeah. bit, you know, and it, it's funny. It reminds me of. Um, uh, the, the idea of that kind of reminds me of those people who play pool or snooker who are good enough to have their own chalk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. and we, we had one guy at university who we used to take the piss out of because he had a little chalk and he had a a little magnetic thing that he put on his belt, and so he tapped, t- he stuck his chalk to his belt, and he, he was <laughs> he was a good player. He was a very good player. Yeah. But we just ripped the piss out of him something terribly, <laughs> and obviously whenever he was playing, somebody would just steal his chalk it's too tempting <laughs> um but uh anyway it, it evoked all those old memories of kind of university playing pool um well, i was i was the captain of the b team pool from my college oh were you i was oh i see but the b team well, so you could be well into karam well the, the b team were the were the were the guys who didn't take it that seriously and who just wanted to go and have a drink whereas the a yeah. team took it really seriously i mean the pool competition at the university was it, it was like the mafia, it was that serious. Oh, you know. But the B team, I wasn't. I wasn't that good, um, and I was there just for fun. And we used to have a lot of fun. So it brought back all those lovely memories of uh, of playing pool at, at university. But also, I think that what you've done here fits really nicely in the um, you know, in the world of the Third Horizon. So the idea of having the uh, you know your I don't know what you call it, your your cue ball or your 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 king ball being the your first, striker, your strike, your being the first come 
Uh, oh, right. No, sorry. Yeah, yeah no. Not the strike. So the, the queen. The queen. Yeah, oh, wow. being being the first come, and then obviously there being mm. nine of the others. Uh, it just fits, but it's almost like it, it was designed for the Third Horizon. Um, yeah. So I, I love that, and I love the idea of you know if you're you're um, yeah depending on which icon you're using to cover the first come, um, mm. you know that might be that might be foretelling something, or it might be it might be almost fortune telling in in the way you the way you play the game, and it might yeah you know it might put a burden or a curse on someone, or it might be a positive blessing or something. I love all of that. I think that that works really nicely. So um, yeah. I, Cool. And the interesting thing was, um, you know, we thought we were going to, I told you I was going to mix it up and make it more spacey, but actually it doesn't need it. You know, it it fits in the third horizon. I kind of feel that, you know, what I'd love to do is just have it in the background of an adventure that I write at some point, you know, um, and have a nice illustration, maybe of people playing Karam in the background while there's some other shit going on. Yeah. And just, just bring it into the horizon that way. Um, so my my only my tough. only my only question, actually the only thing that's missing, is how would this play in game? What what thoughts have you got around the rules that you would apply so if, if I, the players wanted to to dust off their hands and uh, and you know get get to a table? So I think, um, in, and if you recall, um, this is all your fault anyway because uh, <laughs> most you things not are. only said let's have a bar fight, in which case I couldn't do the bar fight. Um, uh, and then, and then you said, "Oh, I'll, I'll have a go at playing him." So I wasn't expecting, you know, I just had him standing by a crumb table. You bastard! <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Now I think we at uh, that time within the rules of uh, Corio's Third Horizon, I think I made that a, uh, a dexterity roll. Yeah. And and basically, I did think, and one of the reasons why I didn't put any rules in there is. Um, I had a, another thought, which I will share with you. And in the end, I decided it was too complex to solve. But so there's two things going on there. There is your skill at flicking these little wooden discs around. Yep. But there's also the maths in the, you know, as you know, with snooker. I mean, I, I think it's got to be harder than snooker and pool, though, because you haven't got the rubbered, uh, uh, the rubber edges to the table that, you know, yeah. Give you a little bit of extra bounce on your balls. And the, your striker <laughs> and the Karom men are different sizes. So, you know, that adds a a slightly more complex bit of um, mental maths to the idea of, you know, what angle do you hit it at to point it at one of the pockets? Yeah. So I did wonder, though, whether you could give yourself a bonus with a successful um, wits roll. Or if you were an actual scientist, whether, you know, you could use your science skill or tech skill to... Um, to work out the angles. Uh, to give yourself a little bit of an advantage. I'm kind of torn on that. What do you think? Um, I, I wonder if you have the opportunity to do both. You can choose to play just kind of with the eye and use your dexterity. Or actually, you can choose to play and be a bit more calculated and use. Yeah, but you know how that'll be. If you've got three in tech or I know, science I know. or whatever, <clears throat> you'll, just, you'll just do it that way all the time. And well, there's, I there's kind not of... necessarily anything wrong with that, though. 
I guess. Yeah. Uh, how many physicists do you know who win snooker tournaments, though? <laughs> well, it's your idea, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, I don't so know. That's... There might be a lot of snooker players who are very good physicists. And actually, it's not so much about physics. It's just an understanding of angles, isn't it? So, yeah. Uh, so, which is probably less of a science thing and more of a observation thing. Actually, yeah. Well, I what what I thought in the end, because um, I couldn't think of anything clever to do with it, is I I thought well that could all be in you know abstracted within your dexterity role. Yeah. You know, so that it's dexterity role covers a bunch of sins. Yeah. It's probably, uh, but it's about what uh, what um, uh, a chap called Gardner, who's a sites. Uh, 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 who, uh, he, he has a theory of what he calls seven intelligences, and he says sportsmen have got uh, what they what he calls body kin- kinesthetic intelligence, which is all about movement and about yeah. control of the body. And maybe maybe that's all you need, and maybe that's not actually uh, wits intelligence. It's a dexterity and a um, agility intelligence. Mm. So, so, so I, 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 kind I, of, you know, um, carry on. No, so I also wonder whether you could put a mechanic in there about using that, using the icons in a way that helps or puts off your opponent. So I'm assuming Carom is just a two-player game. Um, it can be four players cause, yeah, cause Actually, because I was then thinking, you could have a mechanic in there, I'm not sure how we'd play it, where um, if you successfully get the right icon on the right, on the on on the first come, uh, mm. I don't know, put puck or whatever you want to call it. You pocket uh, <clears throat> uh, Carom, um, I think is what they're Carom. called. Or Carom um, men is that could that could give you know you are you are then you know you're throwing a curse at your opponent and that give them a negative mm. on their next. If you succeed in doing that, yeah. that gives them a negative. Or if you're playing in pairs, if you're playing with four players, you know, like a bridge team or something, you could then do something that gives your partner. A blessing or a boon yeah. that helps them on and their I think next actually, role. Bridge is a good way of describing it, uh, in that um, uh, you know you, you do play opposite each other. Yeah. Uh, when when it's a four player game, so yeah, yeah, I think I think we could add that in with a very simple modifier. Mm. Uh, you yeah. Know, you just get plus one or whatever. <clears throat> but um, then, if you fail in that in that attempt, then maybe you get the negative on the or your your turn next round. Or you actually, ac- yes. yeah. yeah. Or you accidentally curse your partner rather than bless them. And <clears> I think <throat> the thing is, is to knock the first come into a pocket and uh, cover it with a piece. In which case, it then stays in the pocket, effectively, or, or off the board. Yeah. If you don't, if you fail to cover it with one of the with another men of your colour, then it comes out and goes in the centre of the board again, and someone right. gets a chance. Um, but then you've got the job of clearing. The um, clearing the rest uh, of the pieces, clearing the, all the rest of your cover. Yeah. Yes, all the rest of the table. Yeah, and um, there is. I, so the, the I did discover some forms of scoring, but there didn't seem to be much agreement exactly on okay. how scoring happens. Yeah, and I felt that this is a point where I didn't want to start talking about that without being, you know, without actually consulting a co-op player, basically. Mm. Well, it could um, be actually so the, the winner could be the one, you know. It's less about scoring and it's more about uh, kind of who has the momentum in the game or who ha- who leaves the yeah. table feeling good 
and who leaves the table mm. feeling bad. You don't actually have points. Well, particularly, but you yes, know, the, you with... know that somebody has dominated the other player without without a need for points, just by the way yeah. they're playing. Yeah, I quite um, like. I quite like. I, think... I quite like that idea because then it's about it's a battle of wits between the the players, mm. and it's almost like an intimidation of the other player if you're winning. And it's a battle of dexterity. And then, and then, and then, and then there's honour in, <laughs> yeah. in, in in accepting defeat, even though there's no points on the board. You know, because you don't use points. I quite like that. Actually. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Cool. We'll work that. Very out. good. We'll, I love we'll it. do some more of that. Maybe. But a really nice piece. Brilliant. Matt. That was very very good. Um, right. Well, cool. we're so, an yeah. episode today, so we better move on. Yes. Let's have a listen to what Matt. Cro- we ought to say. We recorded this, what, about a week ago? Yeah. And so the Kickstarter hadn't started, and um, and that's why we gave you a little update to it earlier on. Uh, but yeah, uh, let's so, have a listen to our so chat with Matt. Today uh, in, in the Hammam, we have uh, a, a friend of ours, a, a guest uh, called Matt Cross. Um, welcome, Matt. He's known to us on um, Discord as Dystopia, Matt. I don't know if that's the handle you use elsewhere on the socials, so people might recognise that. Um, but lovely to have you on the show, Matt. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I've uh, been really looking forward to this this interview. And, and yeah, you got it right. You can find me online as Dystopia Matt. Yeah. Cool. So the reason we've asked you to come and talk to us is you have um, a game which is, uh, at the point that this goes out, is just uh, opened up on Kickstarter, um, Fearsome Wilderness, um, a Year Zero Engine role-playing game, which we'll get to in a moment. But we always ask our guests in the Hammam um, to tell us a little bit about themselves and where they started with gaming and role-playing and um, what's brought them to to our Hammam today. Yeah, thanks for thanks for asking. I am... Um... A little bit about me. My name's Matt. I, uh, I live in Chicago right now. Kind of grew up in the Midwest, and uh, you know, obviously have a strong love for gaming of, of various types. Um, as a kid, you know, we played a lot of games with the family, but you know, the cool games came a little bit later in life. I think once I got made a friend, um, you know, in my young adult as a young adult who started. I mean, we started playing some crazy games where the first time I saw Arkham Horror, I was like, what is this? You know, mm-hmm. like we're going to play for six hours. And, uh, and so just really dived in to like any board games I could get my hands on. Um, you know, I like the thematic stuff, but I like heroes. I, I like kind of everything. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, gaming took me to a game store one day where I said, what are all these miniatures that are like Warhammer miniatures, Warhammer 40K? And mm-hmm. uh, they said, oh, well, that's a lot of work. And you'll have to paint all those and build them. And I said, tell me more. Yeah. Uh, continue. <laughs> and so <laughs> I really started painting a lot. Um, didn't really have a lot of people to play 40K with. So we picked up uh, Kingdom Death Monster and spent like a couple years just playing that all the time. And through that process and just other games, Gloomhaven, stuff like that, I met the guys at Geektopia Games. Well, they, they had been my friends, but um, one of them, uh, John, my, my good friend John, uh, released a board game. It was really, really cool. It's called Cage Match, and that was the first Geektopia Games game. And then I said, hey, I want to do this too. I want to be part of this. This is cool. I want to give something to the community of 
people that play games and I think I can contribute maybe. So I uh, had some ideas, put that, you know, wilderness theme on it. Um, and, but really it was just a dice rolling and, and it had miniatures and it, it grew in scope. <laughs> um, and so we started developing that and then it was like, you know, the, the pandemic hit and we said, let's, let's launch this. But we, we didn't, it wasn't a pandemic project. It was kind of a before the pandemic project that just just the timing yeah. yeah um but so yeah that's uh kind of brings us up to now where we now have a role-playing game that we can talk about um and yeah that's just i, I play it so i like board games i like miniature war games i like role-playing games uh, we play i didn't really talk about role-playing games at all and i'm on a rpg podcast um we play <laughs> yeah, i was know, wondering why you get around to that quite a lot about role-playing games <laughs> Over the next uh, half hour or so, um, but I, so I, I might have intervened if you started talking about gardening or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, yeah, there's, there's nothing wrong yeah. with gardening, Dave. But but Matt, um, <laughs> so Fearsome Wilderness is currently a board game and right. will soon be a role playing game. Um, I don't think I've seen Fearsome Wilderness here in the UK, so. Tell us a little bit about the board game, first of all. What what happens in it? Yeah. So in the board game, you are you play as some of these folk heroes, these, these American, North American folk heroes, Paul Bunyan, um, Johnny Appleseed, Baby the Blue Ox is an actual character you can play, and Flamity Jane. And so mm-hmm. it's just kind of this abstract, you're these immortal folk heroes that you know, the lore lives on and the, the legends live on and, and you, um, they find themselves mysteriously on on the edge of a lake in a very strange wilderness and have to um, kind of survive there. And, and their their foes, the, uh, the creatures, are called fearsome critters. And these are real things. I didn't make that up. Mm-hmm. Um, these are uh, lumberjack folklore, you know, Lumberjacks sitting around, someone lost their axe, or uh, you know, you're tricking the new the new guy into some mythical cr- creature. Um, and there's just there's all kinds of this really great public domain content about these monsters that are wacky and weird and absurd, but also deadly and nightmarish. But so all, that was the board game. But all from North American folklore. Yes. Right. Yes. Cool. And so we, you know, we embrace the public domain. We embrace the, the folklore, the history. Um, we set the board game very much. Um, it, it doesn't, you know, the, it opens up and says in the distant future, but it's not really a sci-fi game as much as this role-playing game is. Um, it was meant to be, a, you know, a, you can play the board game as a campaign. <clears throat> There's 12 scenarios. Um, or you can just, you know, pick it up and it's a short one hour game where you laugh and roll some dice. It's Yahtzee style dice rolling. And we, and I guess to conclude on that thought, Mm -hmm. we had all this really gorgeous art. I I think it's cool art, um, obviously from a really talented artist named Bud Wheeler of all the creatures. And I really enjoyed working with the other artists, Willis Tarover and some other folks on the board game. And so we wanted to just kind of use that investment, use that art, and maybe make an RPG. Started out as a maybe I'll do this thing, and the more we started playing the board game, we would start role-playing more things, or we would say, like, hey, this is a cool world. Let's explore this more. So um, as soon as the board game was funded and successfully kind of done with all that, um, you know, I, I was continued, my, I shifted my focus to the RPG 
Uh, and, and it's been a fun process making that, writing, cool. writing it. So um, the RPG, the reason we're talking to you about the RPG is it's based on the Year Zero system. You said that you got a kind of Yahtzee-style um, dice-rolling mechanic in the board game. What brought you to Year Zero to build the role-playing game on? Yeah, great question. I mean, the I don't know if I would have made this game if I didn't have that open gaming license there for me to take as a platform and a template and start with, right, and mm. kind of put my story into. Um, I didn't want to invent a game system for RPG because there's a lot of good ones out there. And so we love, like, all the, you know, we're playing a lot of Mutant at the time, so maybe mm -hmm. that does it. And so my friends, um, I think also at the same time we had Tales and things going on. And now now we're playing Boston. So, I mean, it's like just kind of I love it so much, and I thought it was a good fit, and I wanted a little bit rules light, but I wanted a little crunch, so it's closer to Mutant than it is Tales. Mm -hmm. Um because I like that, you know, brunch for lack of better terms. Mm -hmm. um, and so we made some small adjustments to the, the engine, um, but it, at its base, you know, you have a new, you have the zone. Let's go explore the zone. And here you got Fearsome Wilderness. Let's go explore all the hexes in Fearsome Wilderness. Mm -hmm. And you've got your Ark in Mutant. Uh, or your HQ in Boston. Well, you've got your shelter here in Fearsome Wilderness. And you can have projects and develop it. And um, I wanted this to very much be like some cool locations that you could go visit in this game as a one shot or like a mutant campaign where you crash on this planet and start trying to see what's out there, you know? Cool. And you, you mentioned that um, the board game isn't, it's kind of science fiction, but not explicitly science fiction. Whereas the RPG is explicitly science fiction. You are, um, marooned uh, um, prisoners, in fact, from a from a prison ship that was heading off to, you, I guess, a proper prison planet, but crashed on this prison planet mm -hmm. by accident. Um, and so you wake up from suspended animation and you're in this strange place, populated still by creatures from American folklore. Yes, yes. And is it an accident that you crashed on this planet? This planet doesn't have a prison on it. It's just kind of isolated and, and uh, you know, at first. Um, mm -hmm. But yes, we, the playable characters are no longer the folklore heroes from the board game. Those characters make appearances throughout the game as NPCs. But you are now, uh, think of it as, you know, if we're making a movie, this is your ensemble cast of uh you know action heroes it's, they're the expendables i mean it's very much like mm -hmm. running man is you know your prisoners and now you're dumped off on this planet or um, con air is maybe a good example of you know a bunch of prisoners meeting each other very different people you get to kind of play out your backstory is like what crime you committed and so that helps kind of easily get you into character i think um and and yeah it's it's far in the future, right? So this is the the premise is you know not too important, but in my head, what happens here is you're a you, characters are a bunch of prisoners, and you were given some sort of deal in the dystopian future where let's just put you into hibernation because we don't really have the resources or facilities to lock you up, and then maybe you know technology is going to get better and better and better, and you'll wake up in the future and you can have a way better prison stay. Well, 
that never happened. Things didn't get better, better, better. They got worse and they woke you up and said, hey, things didn't get better. We got to go take this new prison facility and um, and and then and then you crash somewhere else and you have to figure out why am I why am I here? So with your group of characters, are they uh, I guess is it up to the players to decide if they know each other in advance or is it all kind of, you know, each man for himself until they form some kind of bond through the game? Yeah, I like it if they don't know each other, but you know, a couple people could. You could have brother and sister that lock, or a couple people that are friends and got locked up together, committed the crime together. But it's real flexible, right? It's meant to give you a, a, a first session where, you know, like a cliche movie where you're all on a plane before it crashes and you see the cutscenes of people boarding or talking to each other and getting to know each other, and then mm-hmm. boom, hits you with the action and 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 the danger. Um, that's that's about to be present. <laughs> when I was looking at it before, I was I had the idea that um, you could be watching the first episode of Lost before this. Yes, that's kicks a, yes, off. yeah. I I say it's Lost meets Con Air, um, <laughs> and then once you get through everything, it's maybe more like a Truman Show or a Running Man. Um, right, right. In the second half of the game, right? Okay, I think you've I think you've just given us a clue to something there. So yeah. earlier on, you said you you did you threw out the phrase, "Is it an accident that you landed here?" So I was going to ask, is there? I assume there's a campaign or a backstory that comes with the uh, the RPG, the book. Yeah, yes, a bit like I, mutant and the others do. Yeah, I tried to just like follow that model, so this book will look really great next to your your bookshelf. I'm holding up the proof right now. For them to see but um it's uh it's 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 all in one right like it's the first section's players and the second half is gm and it's a uh you know monsters are in there bestiarium or bestiary it's got your rules but it's also got stories so there's the wilderness that you can go explore you've got a prologue that sets it up right you crash then you've got the whole wilderness where i think there's about 12 locations that you can venture out and happen upon, or there's hooks to get you there. And then we have a finale. And before, right before the finale, there's a little bit of a turning point where there's a twist and, and some new information emerges. And then players are welcome to explore that as long as they want mm-hmm. um, before heading to the grand finale. There's like a bit of a location that you would go to and meet the, the end of your story, basically. Yeah. But also, I, I assume that a bit like... Um... Mutant, you could, you know, as a GM, you could just pick it up, not worry about the, the, the kind of the meta plot, and just have your people exploring and make your own stories. So you don't need to follow that campaign. Yes, please do. I, that's, yeah. I mean, I want this to be like use it however you want. I mean, you could take this, these locations and story, and use them with a different system if you wanted to. I think it's pretty easy to do that. Um, but even like you said, if you don't want to do the whole thing, uh, every sector has tables to randomly generate. Everything just like you, right? Yeah. Weather, terrain, uh, threats, and we have this premise of instead of um, scrap, it's lost cargo. So when your your spaceship crashed, crashes a little bit in midair before it hits the ground, cargo is strewn about. <laughs> so you can go and like find stuff all over the wilderness that has landed. Cool. I like that. I like it. I mean, one of the including things I love some prison about... guards, including some robotic prison guards, which you probably don't want I was, was going to say, they're very hardy prison guards if they survived the fall from the... <laughs> robotic, yeah. And your best friend or your a main NPC is like the flight attendant slash prison guard slash um, 
artificial intelligence that just manages things, you know, on, on your prison transport. They're not mm-hmm. going to spend much money on you low life prisoners, right? They're going to mm-hmm. put an AI um, woman on there. And so she, once she gets disconnected and you crash, she's kind of part of your party now, you know, she's not controlled by the, the corporation that puts you in, that sent you to the prison colony. So that's a, that's a little nice NPC that can help out or, or cause mayhem. <laughs> cool. Now the board game came with some, well, I don't know whether it came with or uh, depending on, on what level you backed at, but it, you had some lovely sculpts for figures and things like that. Um, how popular were they? First of all, were, were they a big uh, part of the attraction of the board game? Did you sell a lot of printed uh, by which I mean, 3d printed versions of those? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, we did a lot more than I expected and, it was another just weird timing where this this game is kind of or the board game and this game have kind of you know have a life of their own and I just kind of roll with it right and that time in my life I was doing a ton of 3D printing and getting better and better at it and it's just it's a hobby I love so you know as a somewhat passion project here you know I wanted to put my passion into it which is 3D printing so it started off where I was like we're not we're just doing cardboard standees for the game and if people want to do 3D printing great i'll have a couple terrain i was gonna do some trees and rocks Mm. and that turned into a log cabin um (laughs) uh, every all 25 fearsome critters have a miniature associated with it and then four folk heroes and some other miscellaneous things but the actual folk heroes we um worked with a really excellent sculptor named uh, leo picorni he's actually the lead sculptor for the stormlight archive um Mm. project that's Mm. on kickstarter right now oh my gosh which is like my <laughs> favorite author in books. So uh, he was my sculptor before that project, and he just is a rock star and knocked it out of the park on those heroes. So what we did was we just got quotes for it, and we made it a stretch goal and um, unlocked it. So there was four uh, miniatures, you know, yeah. cast, like not pretty mm. that, that, that come in so the game. So that's leading me to, uh, well, I guess a two-part question. Um mm. Now, a lot of Year Zero games are played entirely without miniatures. Um, they're kind of designed to be easy to play without miniatures. Is this going to be different? Are you going to uh, be selling this with miniatures? No. no, no. And that's why we're not. I mean, maybe it's a super secret double stretch goal that nobody knows about. If, <laughs> if I sell a million dollars. That was my next it. question. But obviously, I'll, yeah. I won't ask but you. No, it's, <laughs> no, but it's not a stretch goal. Um, to do any miniatures for specifically new miniatures, create them for the game and have physical copies. But um, we have them all as another add-on digitally if you're a 3D printer and you like to do it. Um, and then we've partnered up with a company called Digital Tax Grooming, which has all this sci-fi terrain, like a crashed spaceship and a bunch of locations. So mm. let me answer your question, though, the, the big question. No, you don't need this stuff, and I don't use it that often other than I put it on the table and it looks really cool. And then um, we actually, we, you know, we do use that sometimes when we play skirmish gaming. So there is a Fierce and Wilderness version that I did not create. Um, Kevin from, um, Kevin uh, that did the, uh, now I'm drawing a blank on it. Um, it's mm-hmm. the Mork Borg miniatures. Forbidden Song. He made yeah, it. Yeah. So we use it for that. And then we use it for that. But I put in big bold letters like, we recommend Theater of the Mind. You don't need this stuff. Um, but it is really cool. 
And it doesn't hurt to have your guys lined up before the snallygaster comes and attacks you to see like <laughs> which order you're going in or how far we need to get away. But um, I'm not a big one for like setting up the table and taking it down, making everyone wait for me to get more minis out and stuff. You know? Yeah. And we but play yeah. remote a lot too. I will mention that one of our, or one of your friends, um, our, all of our friends, Paul is making a roll 20. Um, oh yeah. 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 Uh, so yeah. Nice. Don't have to use minis. When you're playing virtual, <laughs> excellent. No. Um, so yeah, so you mentioned um, uh, we we ought, we ought to say that uh, Matt here is not just a friend of the show, but also a patron of the show, and thus gets into our Discord. And through the Discord, met Paul, who is an experienced designer of Roll Twenty uh, character sheets, and so he's working with you on on producing that. <laughs> Are there any new mechanics that he has to deal with? in mm. um something you've added to the uh, zero engine that he's got to try and work out how to do it in in roll 20. yes yes we uh we could make it too easy so and i couldn't <laughs> just clone the thing right i want to make it nightmarish and horror horror themed um i mean the game is sci-fi it's horror it's action it's a lot of things but really we hit you with that horror a lot so we have what's called a nightmare level which is not part of the engine and when you push your roll, you got to check it. And other things might make you increase your nightmare level. And um, there's a, a track of checkboxes that when you fill them all up, your nightmare level goes up another level. And mm -hmm. as your nightmare level goes up, you, uh, you know, things from your dreams might carry over into the real world. So mm. I cut my hand in my dream. I wake up and my hand is bleeding. I had an item I lost in my dream. I wake up and it's gone now. So, um, how the mechanic works is you've got these checkboxes for it doesn't, doesn't matter what level you're on. You got checkboxes and you roll dice equal to your nightmare level or your nightmare track. And if you're getting sixes, you're having a nightmare. So um, it's something that resets as you and it, and it should somewhat mm -hmm. be a creeping, Lovecraftian, slow escalation of, of scariness, <laughs> hopefully. Do you have a scene then to play out your nightmare if you have that nightmare to in order to lose your item or cut your hand? Yes, yes. So when you do a nightmare, uh, we explain in a couple different ways why you all might be having the same nightmare, but it's just a weird place that you're living in, right? Um, <laughs> maybe the hibernation did it to you, how you were all hibernating at the same time. Um, you are now having nightmares. So um, if you're having a nightmare together, there's a you roll a d66 and you look at the story. And you can, it's a tool for the GM too, right? If you have a clue you want to tell someone, put it in the nightmare. If you have a location you want to like give them a glimpse of, put it in the nightmare. But then our interaction stories, which are, you know, a D66, a bunch of them, uh, <laughs> we, we hope that they're like 120 seconds, right? You can do whatever right. you want. But I don't want you to, I want it to have an abrupt ending. I want it to be real tense. Maybe you'll learn something. I don't know. It, cool. it's, they're fun. They're they're wacky. Or they're they're creepy and they're weird and and, and a little levity. Uh, we we make sure that there's some levity and some funny parts of this game too. We don't want it to be too serious, right? So. Horror is always made better humor. by a little bit of humor. You have to release the tension somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> well, this all sounds brilliant. Now, tell us about the Kickstarter campaign because obviously we're pretending it's just started a couple of days ago, but. 
in truth, we are actually <laughs> recording this in two weeks uh, ahead Previously. of the start of campaign. Yeah. So, what are your plans? What's your what's your first goal to hit? We are trying. So, this is not my first time doing Kickstarter. Um, it's not our first game either. We did a game without Kickstarter, so we hope that people improved ourselves a little bit. Um, I went. I mean, this game is done. I showed you the proof. Um, I'm getting the hardcover yeah. proof like tomorrow. And so I'm hoping that other than this little stuff I found that I need to change and then probably change again and again, you know, <laughs> giving myself some time here. <laughs> um, but it's really just adding all the backers names to the back of the book as a thank you and um, sending it off to the printer. So we're hoping for a really small stretch goal or a really small funding goal um, that we can just hit pretty quick. And, and then, uh, you know, Print on demand, drive through, drive through RPG does a great job. I mean, if we sell lots more, then I have some quotes, but uh, there's no risk here. Everyone's going to get the game. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to make the PDF like $9. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I'm not, I haven't made a million games. I'm not, I can't command a huge price tag. And I hope people will support me and be interested in me making more games and, uh, you know, at least look at that PDF and then we'll have a soft cover and a hard cover. So just three pledge tiers. And then real short and simple, it's going to fulfill really quick. And then, you know, click to the app, you pick your level, your reward level. Uh, there's there's going to be some add-ons of the digital um, 3D printable stuff. There's going to be an add-on of, we actually, in the United States, you can get some physical prints from a partner that, that I work with, a print shop. Um, and then dice. So we, we are trying really, really hard to do dice because I like, I like dice. <laughs> these are fun dice to put you know your veins and your and your successes on yeah. and icons and and we have the old board game that we did dice for and we love the manufacturer that we worked with for that and they worked with us to get a really low minimum order quantity so we're doing it we're gonna add dice we weren't going to but that's the big Yay. news of this week uh, <laughs> custom dice are tight yeah and we're gonna hopefully make it like low price too like i don't want you to have to pay like 30 dollars for these dice right like it's <laughs> going to be like, I think, $9, to be honest, um, right around that price. So we're hoping it's an easy add-on. If you like the game, if you, you know, if you just support me, get the PDF. But if you if you really like it and everything, please, please get everything. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds brilliant. And um, if people want to test it, now you sent us some time ago, actually, uh, an early uh, trial version of the game, which I've got to admit, uh, neither Dave nor I have found time to play um but uh can people download some sort of trial from uh or quick start from from drive through or anything like that yeah yeah i'm leaving that up there um there's a little more typos than what's going to be in the full copy i, I, I should really hope so focusing my time <laughs> on the, the good the but the trial's out there and it's it's big people are like this is not a quick start don't call it a quick start it is a quick start right <laughs> it's got three three built characters and you can jump right into it but you know, um, it's a very long quick start and it's got pretty much, I gave you everything except the ending. I give you half <laughs> of the, the, the creatures. I give you like three locations and everything else is in there. Uh, half of the nightmares, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was meant to just be like, I'm trying to prove myself here. I'm trying to, uh, you know, win everyone's favor. And and, uh -huh. and and that was really a catalyst. We had a lot of downloads for that. So I know it's free, nice. easy to get people to download buy free things, but uh, we had a lot of downloads. So that's what really, 
I actually delayed things a little bit because so we started like looking at things and seeing, hey, this is gonna be a little bit bigger than we thought. So, mm. um, fingers crossed, we're hoping for a good launch on the twentieth, October twenty. Mm. And how long is the um, project going to run for on Kickstarter? Well, we're just going to do fourteen days, right? Which I know there's opinions on and pros and cons. Oh, and uh, yeah, yes, that's the that's the words. It's like let's keep <laughs> it simple. It's like three project years. There's not stretch goals. I mean, you notice I didn't really talk about a bunch of stretch stretch goals because I'm not pulling stuff back. I, I just want to give you everything I got, yeah. and um, and I think I can. So I think I think it's all there. So. Hopefully it'll be a, a quick fulfillment. Cool. It is yeah. just as well we're doing this two weeks in advance, though, because otherwise we'd we'd be having this chat two weeks after you'd finished, probably. <laughs> so uh, yes, no. Yeah. This time yeah, we're yeah, going to be timed perfectly for this, no. right at the beginning of the campaign. Yeah, much appreciated. Yeah, and, and I mean, I'm I'm a big. You got to come on the effect. You got a free league show. I'm not crazy. I'm coming on effect podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, well, um, obviously, we'll put a link in the show notes to the Kickstarter because it will be live by the time we actually publish this. Um, yeah. We'll put some links to your socials in there as well. Uh, but thanks very much for coming and, and chatting about the show. And I wish you every success. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much. I love talking about it. And it was great, great conversation. So, um, yeah, have a good one. Thank you Brilliant. so much for having me on the show. Yeah, so it's great chatting to Matt. Um, lovely hearing about what he's got planned for Fearsome Wilderness. Great to see that um, it's doing so well. I I haven't backed it yet. I probably will. In fact, of course I will. You know me. <laughs> I, I say I probably will, and then I then I will definitely. Um, but yeah, great great stuff. And um, if you're interested, folks, it's uh, it's got about ten days left to go. Find it on on Kickstarter and go and back it. We'll put a link in the show notes. And of course, yeah. when you say you probably will, you generally bat things even when you say you probably won't. So I expect <laughs> you to be true. back in Cowboy <laughs> Bebop as well. Well, yeah, no, um, I, I won't be back in both. So, uh, so Fearsome uh, Wilderness so will be. let us talk about your homework because I did oh. a Chrome article. Yes. Our listeners have demanded that we do articles as well as interviews. And rightly um, so. I think I was beginning to demand that as well. I think we've, we, we need to get the balance right. And I think... Doing yeah. articles, we've, and we have done a lot of interviews. Recently, we have done a lot so. of interviews lately, so more articles. Anyway, yeah, what's my homework then, Matt? Okay, so <clears throat> there was a bit of a debate I heard on another podcast about how money works in Alien. Um, it made me think that money doesn't work in the role playing game the way it seems to work in the movies, or particularly mm. in the first movie. So I want you to fix that. <laughs> I want you to give me a new model of money. Can you do that? I can. I can. I have been doing some thinking about that already. Uh, oh, for, have you? Um, on the work that I've been doing on the next book for Free League, the next Alien book. Mm -hmm. um, so naturally enough, you know, that's still got to be edited. So some of the stuff in there might not make it for real. But I can riff a little bit in general terms about what I think about Give us an maybe. unedited version. Read from your <laughs> manuscript. Possibly not that, no. But yes, okay. Uh, challenge accepted. I will talk about money in Alien. Brilliant. So that's cool. uh, for everybody to look forward in two weeks or thereabouts. Yes, oh. we, we might be a little bit uh, off schedule. We might be a bit busy in two weeks or thereabouts. two weeks we have our, um, our annual getaway. 
Yeah. So quite quite when the podcast will come out, it'll be after the weekend, I suspect. Um, but um, or could we record it at the weekend with with Dave and not you are Dave, Tony and Andy? Uh, I we we usually do, don't we? So yes. Well, we did once. We haven't done it every time. Well, we're not, but, okay. Yeah. We can do that. Yeah. That sounds like a plan. Cool. Good you know, right? Brilliant. Well, and you can read it out to us your your homework, and we'll we'll heckle you all the way through. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so this has been a bumper episode. Um, I hope you enjoyed it, everybody. But I think um, that's probably enough from us for one week, don't you think, Matt? It is. It is. Cool. So, so it's, it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from him. And may the icons bless your adventures. You have been listening to the Effect Podcast. Presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music, stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.